Welcome to the Power Women in Insurance Show with your host, Teresa Kitchens. Join us as we laugh, talk about hard issues, support each other, and make our industry and our world a better place. Let's go. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another amazing episode of the Power Women in Insurance podcast. My name is Teresa Kitchens, your host. I'm excited to be here with you today. Today, we have a little bit different conversation. We have the amazing Colby Allen, and he's with Agency Focus. Some of y'all may know uh, Carrie Wallace. She's been on the podcast multiple times. Today, we're talking with her associate, Colby Allen, and we are talking all things how to be able to bring on producers and people and blah, 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 blah. Because you know what? This is super scary for help for business owners, as well as for uh, team members that are trying to be able to decide is this business, is this agency right for me to partner my life with? You know, because a lot of us don't want to be moving around from job to job to job to job. Some people might be coming out of a corporate to go to an agency style situation. Some people might be doing the opposite. Some people might be just getting started in the industry. You know, some people might get started and want to be able to take a position so they have opportunities to grow or do different things. But there's all sorts of different reasons to be able to hire, to be able to join a business and to be able to stay in a business. So today we're going to be talking to Colby Allen about all of the deets that go along with that. So welcome, Colby, to the podcast. Thank you. And before we start, I'm going to say I feel right at home speaking with you, even though we just met. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) You you speak fast. I do. I speak fast. And so you're from the South. It I guess it is a southern thing. But growing up, it was always funny. I would meet new people or even my family. And my brother and I or my cousins, we'd just be talking. And then all the old people would be like, What did they say? And then my brother, who could speak slow, would actually translate for us. So it was just funny. But that um, is hilarious. Whenever I give speeches or when I speak on stage or do events, my former uh, supervisor would actually coach me on, you need to speak slower. Yeah. So anyways, we me can have too. a long conversation and hopefully it's relevant. No, you know, audience. I've actually had people on the phone before who said things like, you speak with a Southern drawl, but you speak really fast, but yet you do pronounce your words. And I tell them I'm a Midwest mutt because I was born in Memphis. <laughs> I lived in Iowa and Wisconsin. So that's where I think I get the faster communication. But I was born in, in uh, Memphis. And then when I was 15, I came down to Dallas. So I've got enough in my life of that, that Southern, you know, I love that Southern. My mom was from Texas originally. So, I mean, I've got enough of that, but I've got enough of that Northern push, the loud, the speaking fast, the, the hard consonants a little bit more. So I've got a little bit more of the, you know, or the, you know, anyway, the mixture of just the two. So, you know, um, and when I first moved down to Texas, though, you're going to laugh. I used to always say pop, you know, instead of a, a drink, whatever. I'd always say a pop. I have yeah. people that literally would lock me in a closet because they're like, you have to stop saying pop. I'm like, a Coke <laughs> is not a Coke to y'all. And we just had yeah. this huge argument when I was in high school about it. So I had a very hard time working it out. But now I feel like I've got a nice mixture of all of it. That's good. Normally when I meet people from out of state and they hear I'm from Louisiana, they say, you don't sound like you're from Louisiana. Right. It's like, well, my dad's family's from North Louisiana. My mom's family's from the deep South. I grew up in the middle. So I got the best of both of those worlds. But I didn't really get either one of the accents. So stop watching <laughs> Duck Dynasty and stop watching Swamp People. We're not all like that. Oh, that's hilarious. I like Duck Dynasty. That's a cool show. <laughs> it's good. It's good. But again, we're not all Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. 
Okay. Colby, I know you've been working with Agency Focus, and Agency Focus is a wonderful company, one that I have personally worked with with my agency. Uh, Carrie did an amazing analysis with me as I was looking to be able to purchase another book and as we were kind of looking into getting on a budget and kind of cleaning some things up. But tell us in your words what Agency Focus does and a little bit about your journey to be able to come to be able to uh, be a part of that community. Yeah. So Agency Focus was founded by Carrie right around three years ago. She started with the state association, helping owners understand the value of their agency, perpetuation planning, you know, all the components that come with that. She went out on her own and it's just grown and it's exploded since then. And with that comes the need for capacity and the need to actually service agencies that are coming to our firm. And so about nine, almost 10 months ago, her and I met and I joined and we've been growing ever since to continue that mission of helping agency owners understand the value of their agency, the different pieces of that puzzle that contribute either in a strength or a weakness or a risk to try to help you again, try to figure out if I want to increase my value, if I have this certain exit plan, how do I make that a reality? And so the other kind of component that contributes and, and really helps aid that is we do one valuations, but also we've really grown our fractional CFO services to help agencies that aren't quite at the stage of having a full-time controller or CFO on staff. The owner might be kind of wearing that hat to you know, manage their own financials, which we'll touch on a little bit. Yeah. But if you don't have someone full-time dedicated to that, you can actually bring us on in a fractional capacity to organize your financials, look at your financial operations, figure out what your top priorities and goals are as an owner, and how do you really organize your financial resources and operations to make that a reality for you. Yeah, yeah. So and as being a business owner, being an agency owner, and we're going on 21 years, I think a lot of people and having this podcast for the last four years, one of the things I've heard repetitively is that people go out on their own because they want to do it either better or they want to be able to make more of the money, right? To be able to kind of, I earned it, I should be able to keep it a little bit more, right? Or I can do it better. So I think one of the problems that we're seeing in agency ownership culture is that a lot of agency owners are salespeople who then go on out and they hang their own shingle, right? And when they do that, the problem is running a business is extremely different from being able to be a salesperson. And a lot of people think, oh, it's just about picking a management system or, oh, it's just about, you know, picking a phone system. And it's not. It is about tech. It's about finances. It's about people. It's it's about, you know, management with your territory reps. It's about paying your bills and looking at locations. And it's about making decisions about all these different things. And then you add in team members and culture and so many different things. And all that has nothing to do with sales. And I think a lot of people get into agency ownership very unprepared for that conversation. Maybe if they come out of a captive situation that a lot of that stuff was already done for them, or they've been in a a situation where maybe an owner wasn't really transparent about the things they did in their day-to-day that wasn't a part of, you know, you hear all the time about absentee owners, right? And I'm, I'm not saying that that's a negative or a positive term, right? There's a lot of us that are owners that wish we could be absentee. And there's a lot of people that I think are less absentee than they're given credit for. And I think that a lot of people don't see what goes on on the back ends. So whenever we branch on out, we go out and create our own. All of a sudden we look and we go, oh my goodness. And especially running a profitable business is yet again, another conversation from just running a business. How do you find that agency owners come to y'all with the concept of balancing all these factors? 
you you pretty much summarize a lot of the points that we see on a regular basis. It's super common. You see a producer that's in an agency, highly successful. They're growing their own book of business. And then, yes, you get that idea, this motivation that, hey, I can do this my own way and I can do it better than what this agency does. And so I'm going to do it. And to your point, an agency owner is, in many cases, the success of their agency is driven by how they're able to organize other people to support what they do best. Yeah. And I've heard you say this on your show many times, especially you had an episode about hiring business coaches, right? I listened to that one recently and it was phenomenal. Yeah. And you highlighted a lot of those types of things is the people who are really successful are smart enough to know they can hire people that are smarter than them to do other things. Right. That's not to say you outsource everything, but we work with the owners across the entire spectrum to where they are either one very driven producers and then they know, okay, I need to hire an office manager to do X, Y, and Z. I need to hire a really good account manager or account executive to do A, B, and C. And they're able to do that versus an owner. That's very common. We see all the time. They are the key producer. They're good at hiring a couple of account managers or support persons in their staff. But if they don't really keep up with the administrative or the operational components of the agency, yeah. you, you get to a point to where if they don't hire another producer or other people to continue to grow the book, the most common range of revenue that we see for agency owners that are stalling is between like 500 and 750 or 750 right. million. Yeah. Because that's, the, that's kind of the tipping point where one producer can manage a book of business by themselves without really looking at building a bigger system. Right. And so if it's all centered around that one owner who's the key producer, unless to your point, you're able to build a good system around you, you're going to get to a certain level and then you're going to find yourself having to look at those other priorities in a way differently than you have before. Yeah. And so also to your other point about balancing growth and profit, absentee owners. So hard. I will affirm that being an absentee owner is a possibility. Like it does happen. We work with them. I don't know that I want to be absentee. <laughs> I just don't want to have to be in the center of everything all the time. And that's one thing yes. I really work in my way out. But I think people, there are differences in that. I just want to make sure people hear about that. I think the definition of an absentee owner is one that honestly doesn't even come in the office. One that yes. somebody calls them, they take. 10 hours to respond like tomorrow morning, you know, or even two, three days. I think there's a difference between absentee owner and an owner that just doesn't want to answer the phones and be in the middle of stuff kind of thing. There's a really big scale there. So I want to make sure our listeners hear the difference in that absentee yes. owner in my definition, you can and fix this if this is different, Colby, but I think absentee is much more harder to get a hold of and participate in the business. Um, they just kind of want somebody to make decisions for them, kind of like an office manager or somebody. So I want to make sure that to me, there's a big difference in that. There is. And thank you for clarifying that. I didn't say it probably the most accurate way. I'll say non-producing owner. How about that? We'll rephrase it. Right. I like it. I like it. Yeah. No, good. Like, either step, way. Either way. We can step back into more just administrative role. Financially as well. Yeah. A more administrative role, a more like managerial role versus yeah. having to be out, you know, pounding the payment and making the phone calls. Right. Yes. I do work with some absentee owners. I will say that's also a possibility, but yes, more accurately, non-producing owner is a better term. Excellent. Yeah. So as you guys are working with these people, because I mean, I think sales is a um, something we love. It's something that fuels us. But over the course of time, it's also one of those things that can kind of, for some people, become a little repetitive and tiring. And especially the the drain of it, like I have to talk to Teresa, I have to talk to this person, right? Oh, no, I won't talk to Sally. I have to talk to Teresa. And I think sometimes that becomes a little bit of a drain. And I think some people being able to, to level up is also a mental health issue over the course of time. 
Because we, we, and I think too, one thing I also heard is that a healthy business is one that if we ever choose to release it into the universe by selling it, passing it on, whatever we choose to do with it, right? Whatever we need, if we're the center of that agency and we're the number one salesperson or we're the driver of the culture or the financial health of that business, then it devalues that business. Let's talk about that because as we get into talking about bringing people into the fold, I think we need to talk to people about what do they want their role to be for mental and emotional health. And then also we need to have a conversation about the health of their business as they want to be able to create maybe a perpetuation plan or something like that. Yep. The term is called key man risk. And so when we do evaluation, that's some of the things that we dive into from a concentration standpoint is directly to your point. Can this business be sustained or continue to grow? That's actually a huge factor. Continue to grow once this owner or key person steps out of the picture. And so, yes, if you are the key producer that brings in all the business, you're the rainmaker, all the key clients call your phone versus your account manager or another producer that's on your team, is the likelihood of that business going to be perpetuated into the future? Is that cash flow, that future buyer or investor buying into your agency going to be able to maintain? The risk trade-off is if it's solely pinned on you as the owner, That's a risk factor that a potential buyer is going to really scrutinize. Mm. That's the exact reason why when you see either big agency transactions or other types of transactions, there are retention clauses for an owner Mm. because there's often a level of risk that they can buy and assume and you can step out of the picture and go to Puerto Rico or go to the beach, wherever you want to go versus requiring or strongly encouraging you to stay on for one, two or three years with some incentives tied to that. And that's because it's that transition period of kind of de-risking yourself out of the operation so that they can continue going forward. I listened to a really interesting podcast recently with Dave Ramsey, and he talked about that, that exact thing. Oh, okay. His company is his name. Yeah. They somewhat rebranded it from Dave Ramsey to now Ramsey Solutions, but he has a whole podcast where he talks about that. They had a goal of converting the company to what they called non-Dave revenue by a certain time. And that was to see if they can get a certain percentage of their company of revenue that was not tied to his name. And he yeah. said they, ex- they exceeded it like way beyond their goal, like very quickly. So he said, also, there's a, the operational and the value component of that. But he said it hurt because mm-hmm. as an owner, you built it. Yeah. Your name is on the door. It's almost personal, right? It is. If this thing can keep going without you. Yeah. But that's the key way that you can maintain that value, like directly to your question. I love that. I love that. Well, because I think Dave Ramsey, they turned him more out of a person and into a brand. And so because of that, so I think if we have agencies, if we want to take that and really apply it to us, so rather it being like the Teresa Kitchens agency, it has to become a brand. People have to be okay with, hey, I can get Dave Ramsey on my stage, right? Maybe I can get one of his associates on the stage from the from the Ramsey organization, right? So therefore, it became a brand, right? That he he took the time, but he stayed with it, right? Like we talked about earlier, he stayed in the business long enough to yep. be able to empower his people to rise under that name to create the brands where the brand wasn't necessarily just around him. And I think that's really important for us to do as business owners is to say, hey, if I want to be able to take myself out of the day to day, this agency has to become a brand. I'm going to say a ton of agencies across the country and you probably know the statistics better than I do because I don't know them at all, are named after people in their names, right? The John Smith Agency, right? Or whatever. Yep. There's a lot of that. 
But we needed to go out of the fact that you have to talk to John Smith or the owner. We needed to be that Sally, his person, is amazing or, 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 you know, or John in his office is fabulous or, you know, or, you know, Russell over here is the bomb.com, you know. And until we empower our team to be those people, because I think that's another thing is a lot of people don't empower their people to do that. They want to keep that iron claw control. Yep. We can have like 18 podcasts on this, seriously. <laughs> but um, I'm already thinking of offshoots here. But I think we have to be able to be free enough to hire people that can do what we want to do, give them the training, the opportunities to empower, to be able to bring up that branding. So that way, then we can step back and be that more administrator, that more hands off. And then that way, our our culture is really, really strong without us and also level up the valuation of our agency. Yeah, so that and that's not to say that you can't have an agency with your name on the door. That's not what we're saying. Well, what we're saying is to recognize that the strength of the organization is based on the team that you build. Mm-hmm. And so I've, I've heard this phrase a long time ago, and I always repeat it to myself in, in these types of conversations, but a rising tide with all ships. Mm-hmm. And so right now in the hard market, right, rising commissions, every agent's feeling it to some extent. But what that means from an organizational standpoint is as an owner, kind of back to that earlier point that I mentioned about 500 to 700,000 in revenue. If the owner is tapped out at their capacity for sales, or like you said, feeling kind of the monotony of sales, that's actually the exact point that you should also be hiring good producers to be able to expand your organization. And so at that point, you can bring on someone, mentor them well, give them a good incentive and compensation plan so that they can grow and benefit themselves. But that's also the tipping point of scale to where one person generating revenue, it's going to be not as proportionate to maintain consistent organizational growth. And so you have to bring on producers or people who can expand those capabilities so that you can continue to grow as a company. Yeah. And that's that point too, where it's not just your brand, but now you have other people representing being that brand for your agency other than yourself. Mm -hmm. And so that's hard because you have to find people you trust, people that you like, people that are going to actually maintain the image and brand that you want. And so I see all the time how agency owners, they want to hire producers, but it's freaking hard. It's hard. There's a money component. There's a personality component. There's a skill component. Finding the right people for the right seat is not easy. And there's also a pride component, I think, because when we built it, we want other people to do it the way we want it done. And we want people who are skilled. We don't want to take away from our ability to be able to sell because it does take time to train somebody. We don't want to be able to invest. $20,000, $30,000 in somebody, $40,000, $50,000, however long we let the process go, who might not be right for the position. And then we hear on a lot of our chat groups and things like that about horrible uh, hiring decisions. Some of them are just people's lives happen, right? Like I might've been a great employee for five years and then I go through something massive or crisis oriented in my life. And maybe then I become a more challenging one. And, you know, I think the, the, the concept of hiring and bringing on people is super scary. And I think a lot of people blame finances for not making that emotional and that personal change. So as you guys really approach this, I I would expect y'all really have to have some of those hard conversations with people. Because I know a lot of people, if they come to y'all saying, hey, I want to be able to work on a budget. I want to be able to have a CFO. I want to have somebody keep me on track. But hey, I can't do more with what I have. I have to figure something out. So Tell me a little bit about how you guys start some of those conversations with clients about how to be able to help them get ready 
to think about if they're ready to be able to expand their their uh, their uh, personnel inside their office. Sure, it's always starting with in most cases what are your goals. So if your goal is to grow, yes. If your goal is to grow to a certain point, yes. If your goal is to be able to maintain what you have and just have it profitable, yes. My goal first is asking an agency owner, okay, why did you call me? What are you trying to accomplish? If that's to hire people and grow your team, all right, then let's try to figure it out and put a plan to make that a good option. Another part of that, I usually try, part of me is personal, like I've never been a teacher, but my long-term goal is like have a PhD because I love educating people. Like right. as a consultant, just a fun fact, I'm a word nerd. So people hear the word insulting, you just like, I hurt someone's feelings with what I said. A consultant is someone who tries to walk with someone with what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And so those two words are very related. It's just the impact that they have. So as a consultant, my, my whole mission is to help an owner figure out, okay, through our experience, through the decisions we can make, what decisions can we make to make your goals, your dreams, your aspirations a reality? And so that's what I try to understand first and foremost. What do you want to happen? And how do you want it to happen? And then we dive into, okay, what are the financial resources you have available to try to make that a reality? Right. The different components of a business, you have people, you've got operations, you've got technology, you've got these different aspects that you can invest to try to generate a return for your organization. Another thing that I think a lot of small business owners don't really look at the same way is when you look at investing in the stock market, you research a company, you try to find out, okay, do I like the executives? Do you like their product? Do you like what they're doing? Okay, yes, I'll give them money and then I'll hope that grows over time mm -hmm. or I get dividends, whatever the return function is. It's either growth or dividends in most cases. Right. An early stage agency is a small cap growth company. And so you need to research, figure out what are the components of your business you can invest in to generate the return that you're trying to get. Mm -hmm. Is that people? Is that technology? Is that infrastructure? What are those components that you're going to prioritize and deploy your capital right. so that you can grow to the thing you're trying to, trying to build? And so if that's people, okay, we need to find out, okay, what's the organization look like? What's the structure that we want to happen and be in place? And how do we find the right people for those seats to keep that investment, right? Or make that investment a positive one. It is risk. Like any investment, when you buy in the stock market, the, the prices are going to go up and down, right? The value of an agency is going to go up and down. Right. The people you hire, you're going to take risk. But if you want reward, you have to take risk. <laughs> so that's hard to some extent. That point where their agency is somewhat successful, they got some money in the bank, their family's living much better. They're, you know, hopefully maybe, you know, and a lot of people are stressed, though, at the same time, like they're just working too many hours. They've got to be able to hire. But at the same point, they're finally out of the financial doghouse. Right. Kind of thing. Maybe yeah. you're finally making a little bit of money. And you're, you're comfortable when you're not working 80 hours a week. But the reality is we have to be able to let other people in because we can't work at that level forever. We just can't. Yeah. Well, here's, here's a question too. And kind of back to my, my earlier kind of point about what do you want to accomplish? So yeah. I've seen owners that they get to a book of business of say maybe 200,000 in annual commission. They've got a couple of VAs. They've got a decent servicing system. They're making a good income. They're comfortable. That's good for them. It funds their lifestyle. It supports their family. It, it works for them. Yep. Versus some agency owners, they're at 200000 in commission. And then they've got a staff of five, six, seven people because they're building a well-oiled machine that they're trying to grow to something much more substantial. Yeah. 
And so that's all another reason why people ask, hey, what's benchmarks for a scratch agency? There really aren't any perfect ones because those two scenarios that I just laid out, both of those owners are content with what they're building and what they're doing. It really drills down to you as a business owner. How are you using your agency to accomplish what you want and makes you fulfilled? Yeah, I like that. I like that. And I agree. Business ownership, we go into it for different reasons and we want different things out of it. So so if I wanted to be able to expand my team, right? Say you and I are having a conversation. I want to be able to take my agency to another $2 million in revenue or whatever, right? Say that's my my two-year plan, three-year plan, whatever, right? How would you say to start that process? What do I need to really start thinking about? And where do I need to maybe, you know, we've talked about my goals. We've talked about, you know, some of that. But what, what do you usually need from an agency or an agency owner to start that process to really figure out. Because I think once somebody goes, okay, I know what I want. If I want to go what I need, I need to have the courage to do the things that's going to take me where I want to go. So once we're at that point in the conversation, where would you take it beyond that? So in order to really try to plan for growth, another part of that puzzle is asking an owner, okay, what is your sales and service model? Like you said, as a successful producer, like I've built something and I know it works. Okay. Well, I need to know from your perspective as an owner, is that the expectation you also have for the rest of your team? Or are you going to be open to another model to get to that part of the growth? Right. And so understanding, okay, your expectations as an owner, what are we going to actually build from a sales and service model? And how do we either fit in people, fit in more technology, et cetera, to make that grow or expand that? And so a common, like we'll just throw it as an example, a common example. A lot of agency owners have a hybrid of inbound and outbound generation. Uh-huh. They have a very common hybrid sales and service model. One person does selling and service, but they're thinking about, okay, I know to kind of grow faster, I need more dedicated producers and account managers. Right. Okay? So I need to shift my thinking or shift my model to be away from a hybrid model where the same person is making outbound calls and taking inbound calls to, I need producers who are out of the agency. And that's all they do, focus 70, 80% of their time on sales generating activities. And then they have a support system behind them that generates and puts a foundation so that they can do that successfully. Yeah. All right. So we work to define, okay, what's the model we want to do and how do we find the right people to do that? And so that's going to look very different, hiring someone that's open to sales and service versus someone who is a full-time producer and all they do is sales. Yeah. Those, Those are two different people. And they're two so different to, personalities. Yeah. I mean, they're two exactly. different physical. They're two different at your desk and they're two different work styles. Yep. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. So in order to build your ideal team, we need to know what does your ideal team look like so that we can plan that out. And so using that, then I'll go in and do some nerdy stuff and try to figure out, okay, well, here's this agency's benchmarks. Here's a goal that we can set two, three, five years from now with these KPIs, key performance indicators. Okay, what are the building blocks to get our 
measurement today to that measurement two, three, five years from now. Mm. And then we back into a plan of, okay, we know it takes you three months to hire someone. It takes you another 30 to 60 days to get them up at speed and your, your systems. So we've got a four to six month lead time of hiring someone that's going to be in this process. So all that to say, we kind of back into knowing the model that we need to build, understanding the components of the agency and how they function, and then try to put together a very detailed roadmap, very detailed, but a detailed enough yeah. roadmap to give some guidance on, okay, well, we know we need to hire X number of people in the next 12 months, in the next 24 months. It takes us this long to hire. One other piece of that is, okay, do we actually do the hiring and the recruiting or do we need to work with a recruiter? Okay. Do we need to, do we need to outsource that? Just an example of, okay, what do we need to do to make this happen? And then try to figure out, okay, do we have the capital and the resources to deploy to make this function? So then I think part of the capital and the resources, we talked about, you know, do we, do we, you know, how do we hire? We talked about getting mentally in that space. We talked about getting where we're committed to the process, right? So, but once we get there, how do you decide? Because I think, you know, again, we talked about this earlier, the idea of giving up 20, 30, 40, $50,000 to figure out if somebody's going to make in this industry or with my agency or until, you know, where somebody's ready to cut bait or whatever the situation is, if it's not working, that scary factor, yeah. OMG, that is terrifying to all business owners out there. So I know you help people also get their mind around in their territory, their 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 agency, and for the job that you guys have already walked through will be necessary for this vision with these yep. benchmarks, y'all then start talking about salary. Is that correct? And how to be able to kind of afford bringing somebody on in this space. We do, yeah. And the salary component, a commission structure component, all is crucial because like you said, it's a big investment. Something we see super common is agency owners that they want to reduce their upfront risk as low as they can uh-huh. by also expecting the highest output that they can possibly take. Of course. Take. It's, no, it's not a reality in many cases. But don't tell me that. You're breaking my heart. Call Wait, me. Let me reverse everything I just said. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the other side of that, too, is here's another example. A lot of agency owners, we ask them, okay, well, here's, here's a realistic goal of what this producer can reasonably bring in in year one, year two. Okay, what's your average client in your agency? What client do you enable your producers to reasonably produce and support in their book of business? Right. Because hypothetically, the state is either, you know, 90, 10 personal and commercial. We're like, well, I need to, I need somebody that does commercial. Okay. Well, do you have the system to support them doing that? Right. Are there ways for you to get to that point? Those are the common questions we ask. Because if you just hire a producer at 50,000 a year and they put a validation schedule in place, but you don't have the markets, you don't have the resources or the education for them to reasonably bring that in and keep it, then you're, everyone's set up for failure in right. a way. Versus if you bring someone that you already have a system in place, okay, I know we can support this ideal client, these lines of business, this geography, I just got to plug them into the, to the process. Right. Then it's super easy to design a comp plan with that in mind. Another kind of example, the comp plan for say a hybrid, someone who's selling and servicing, it's going to look very different from someone who is strictly doing sales oh. because again, the level of productivity, the level of business that they can reasonably write and service is different than say someone who can strictly service or strictly sell. Right. And so we look at a budget of, okay, what's a amount we can reasonably allocate for all payroll 
And then how do we break down in proportion what's allocated for sales, what's allocated for service, what's allocated for resources or other components? Here's another kind of insight. Oftentimes when you hear the difference between like family-owned independent agencies versus corporate big ABC agency shops, the biggest component for producers is often the difference in the comp plan. It's not uncommon for a producer to be able to get 50% out of family agency, 40% out of family agency versus a national agency. They're going to get 40, 25% on renewal. And like, well, I'm, they're paying me 40% here and 25% here. Like, well, that's a no brainer. I'm going to take the 40% all day. Right. Unless the difference in comp plan is also the difference, like I mentioned, to the support system and the processes mm-hmm. to be able to write a different type of client. There's actually some correlation, some data that shows actually the lower the renewal rate in many cases leads to a higher book of business. Because oftentimes those agencies are budgeting and they're allocating the other parts of that budget to the support and the resources, account executives, other they things. More back they back the process. They invest more into building and supporting the book of business okay. to enable that producer to be successful. That's not in all cases, just telling you. But say an agency that pays 50-50 or 70-50 or whatever that structure is, but then that producer is completely expected to service. They got to do their own change requests. They got to do all the other components. It makes sense for them to earn more because they're doing more. Yeah. And so whenever we help to design a comp plan, there's a couple of different ways that we can approach it. But a common way we should do as a service, I've got several clients that are doing this right now. They hire a new producer or they're hiring someone into a market that they don't really know yet. They're trying to expand into to really sit down. I sit down with the agency owner. I sit down with the producer. I have a process we go through trying to figure out expectations, goals. And then I take the agency's financials, right? Take all the different components and try to find a reasonable compensation plan based on the agency's service model, based on the agency's capabilities, and also the producer's goals. Right. There's ways to find a happy medium versus this, what is very prevalent today, an agency owner is trying to optimize their return and producers trying to get the highest commission rate. Right. When in reality, there's ways to find, okay, what are the, the ways that an agency can enable a producer to be successful? And then what are ways a producer can use that system to be successful? Mm. So whenever you hear a producer, whenever you talk to agencies and they have a producer, because one of the things you said is they, you talk to the producer and you talk to the owner and you kind of talk about a compensation plan, right? I mean, I think what do you usually hear are the breaking points? Like what are things that I think agency owners or leadership of any agency needs to take into consideration that we need to be prepared for before we even walk into that conversation? Because I mean, again, this is our baby. This is super personal. So sometimes we, if somebody goes, oh, I want this, we go, oh, no, I'm not willing to give that. You know, just more out of principle, even though that's totally ridiculous and stupid, if we were the the person on the producer side, we'd be like, oh, I would ask for that too, right? How do you, I mean, what are the, the I guess, the, the building points that agency owners or leadership needs to be ready mm-hmm. to discuss as they come to the table? Because that's what we, I really want to make sure people hear what they need to be prepared to uh, emotionally embark on that journey mm-hmm. to be able to be ready to have that conversation with you. Because if they can't have that conversation with you and you need to be able to have, also have that conversation with the producer, because then I'm going to ask that same question from a producer's perspective. I want not only agency leadership to hear what I, I want salespeople to hear what agency producers think. 
And I want agency producers to hear what salespeople think. So let's talk about from the agency ownership or leadership position, what do they need to be prepared for in that conversation on their end? Okay, so the number one, a, I'll say number one, a top item is actually going to tie back to one of the very first things we open this conversation with. Ownership. Yeah. Okay. Ownership. Because you, you said it, you know, a key producer, they're successful, they're growing a book of business. And then there's this feeling, this perspective of I'm successful. It's me building this. I can do this better on my own. I want some equity in what I'm doing. The other side of that is the agency owner. You own the business. You own the resources. You own the carrier appointments and the contracts and everything that's in place for that producer to have that system. And so the conversation of producer ownership is massive. It's huge. And I think it's growing. Yes. I think eight to 10 years ago, it was not as much of a conversation, equity, as it is today. I think I hear a lot more today than I did five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, we see it all the time. It's a huge component of evaluation that owners don't think about. Because depending upon that contract and how it's written, that producer's book may not be included in your sale. Or that producer might have a right of first refusal. They can opt out, right? Whatever the terms are. And so a way that I try to approach that conversation is to really, one, try to frame up the expectations. Because a lot of people don't consider, here's another thing too, is like when producers say ownership, they think I want to own my book. Not necessarily from an equity standpoint in the agency, but I want the rights to do with this business what I want to do with it. Right. Okay? Because there is a huge difference in having the rights to something versus you having the equity and fiduciary stance on that business. Because all the producers want the upside, they want none of the downside. (laughs) And so oftentimes the way I approach the compensation conversation is usually producer comp is the highest item on the balance sheet, not balance sheet, on the P&L statement and sometimes the balance sheet if you do draws and have producer payables. But 25, 30, 45, 50% of top line revenue comes off the top and goes to that person. Mm. In a way, that's a risk-free compensation because it's based on their activity and their productivity. It is not tied to the equity or the actual bottom line of the agency compared to, say, your compensation. Correct. Your compensation is tied directly to what you're able to keep in that operating account at the end end of the year. And so the difference between equity in those conversations, I actually just try to define, okay, what do you mean by equity? Because you say equity, but I don't think you mean the fiduciary capacity of owning shares. What you mean is you want the rights to the expirations and what you can do with that business. Yeah. And so it's defining ownership. That's a huge thing. I've, we've worked with some owners and got to this process where there's terms in a producer's contract that says they own the rights to the book of business, but it's not defined. And so when that owner goes to sell, you then get into problems, legal, possibly arbitration and suits on the owner's trying to sell the agency, but this producer's trying to say, well, I have ownership. Well, if you don't actually define what you own or how you own it, how do you know to proceed? What's the formula to get your buyout or whatever that looks like? And so defining a good producer contract is paramount. Yeah. Because having everyone on the same page, all the terms are understood. Okay, if we get to point A, or if we get to trigger point B, how are we handle that? It's no different than an operating agreement with a partner. You have terms around buyouts. They call what the four Ds, death, disability, divorce, and disinterest. A producer contract could be the same way. Like I think it should be clear enough to understand what happens in the event that something triggers 
that producer's relationship with that agency being different. Right. So that when you get to that point, you know how to proceed, you know what's expected, what's going to happen, so that both parties can understand, okay, here's what we're going to do, here's how we're going to do it. Because if you get to the point of you're trying to sell the agency, the producer's got some terms that say they own it, and now you're trying to figure out, okay, what do we do? Do I give them part of the equity or part of the buyout? Do I allow them to break off and go start their own agency? Right. You want to have all those things as best as you can understood and expectations before you get to that point. Right. So oftentimes people, when they hear or think about producers, it's like, okay, what are the commission splits? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a component and we can help you figure those out. And we do on a regular basis. But really having a solid producer contract is going to save you more headache than anything. Yeah. Because you can, you can plan, you can plan, yeah. Yeah, not you just can in your plan pocket for your budget this month on your taxes, but also long term in which you can get out of your agency and or your family. So say something happens to you and you know your spouse inherits it, right? Or or, or steps in or yeah. a business partner, right? It, it takes care of not only you but also the other people that you love. Exactly, exactly. And your yep. legacy. Yep. So yeah, because you can plan for budgets and commission rates. That's easy. Right. Because right. I know I'm paying this producer X. And when I get the revenue in, this portion goes to that. That's on my PL. And that's something I could plan for. If you don't plan for those other components, that can be really, really big problems down the road. Huge. Yep. Huge. Now, what about also, do y'all also help to be able to say, hey, in order for this to be a profitable experience for the for both sides, right? For the salesperson to make the money. Because you've already talked to the owner, you've already talked to the salesperson. What do you want? How do you want it? We're mentally prepared for this. We talk about ownership. We talk about compensation. We talk about our equity. We talk about, you know, what do we expect? But you also bring into that conversation with the contracts expectations for what winning looks like. Because I think walking both the producer side and or the, even an account manager, right? Or or right. even the, the the agency leadership. I think everybody has to know what that looks like going into that as well. Because to me, that is one of the things that I think is most misrepresented is the concept of once you get the job, once we have a contract, what will be the process from there? Because I think that's what a lot of training may or may not occur. A lot of people, I hear people get into jobs like, oh, I thought I was promised. Um, I was supposed to have. I didn't get this. Do you ever have those types of conversations with clients to be able to make sure that it's a, it's a smoother process to be able to make that hiring and implementation of team members more successful? Yes. So part of our process too is in our resource, we have different views and illustrations of, okay, if you hire this person with this comp plan, we set these goals in place for validation or activity. Here is the agency owner's detail of that. Okay. Here's what you're investing into this person. Here's the reasonable expectation of cash flow. Here's when you turn cash flow positive right. if they meet these goals. We've got a schedule that looks at, okay, actually, this is part of my background, is I actually helped and worked on a producer validation dashboard for a super regional agency. And so we had a whole, it was like a data visualization that showed, hey, this producer's validating, here's their production activity, here's the agency's investment, and here is essentially some milestone points that you should be at this point. If you're not, we need to have a conversation. If you're above this, we need to have a conversation to either change your plan or whatever. And so, yeah, having those things laid out for one, the owner to see what their investment is, right. if the expectations are met, and then also for the producer to illustrate for them, here's your comp plan. 
if you meet these goals, these milestones, here's what your compensation is modeled to look like. Right. In most cases, a really good producer comp plan can show a producer, hey, by year three, if you hit these goals, you're making ninety to hundred thousand dollars. If you get to these goals by year four to five, you're probably making one hundred twenty-five to one hundred fifty thousand a year. Yep. Or you can completely exceed that if you blow up these metrics. If you're at this point, this is what the expectation is because this is what the agreed plan is. And so, yes, in that process, we try to have and show, okay, for the owner, here's all the details and all the nerdy components that's going to show up in your P and L, and for the producers themselves, right? Okay, if you hustle, you meet these goals, you be part of this process, here's what a reasonable expectation is for your compensation with some conversation on ranges. Because yes, if you exceed the goals, you're going to make more. If you don't hit these goals, you probably can make less. We also try to, to show the owner specifically, hey, if, if you're not at these production levels by this point, then that might be a conversation around job description or job role. Kind of, we mentioned earlier too, right? It's not like this person may be completely terrible at their job. They could be in a season. Their skills might be different, adapted to what they're trying to accomplish. And so it's not that they're a bad employee. It's just they might not be fit for that role. I'll be transparent. Just be vulnerable a second. Like my role here as a consultant, this is my first role as a incentive or activity-based compensation. Right. So in a way, I'm, I'm a producer, right? For agency focus. I'm trying to bring in my own business. You know, shout out. If you hear this conversation, you enjoy it. Reach out to me. <laughs> but part of it is, right, we work as a team. Carrie does a great job of leading us and generating a ton of activity for us and, and clients. But I've also got my own expectations. I've got to build a model book of business. And so my compensation, my family's livelihood is based on me doing some hustle. And so for the first time in a while, I've worked at producers my entire career. But I think now I've got a different level of empathy and trying to connect with them on like, hey, I'm not just telling you how to do this. Like, I'm also doing this with you. And I'm I'm going through this process of sales and building up a book of business. So this is, I've got the experience to have the data behind why this works. But I'm also living it myself. And like, let's talk about it, frankly. I love it. I love it. Yeah, because you do, you see both sides of that conversation, right? And you're working really hard with both sides of that conversation. And, you know, you've worked multiple times. And I love the fact that you built out that dashboard for, um, for validation of a producer's, you know, contracts, right? Because I think that's one thing as an agency owner is fear, like I mentioned, of bringing somebody in. But then for me, also the conversation of all the work it's going to take to yeah. hold them accountable and blah, blah, blah. But if, if, yep. if it's already pre-stated, it's already in black and white. It really cuts down a lot of that, that uh, maneuvering that I think a lot of agency owners feel that they have to do because then it's just, hey, this is what we agreed to. Here's where we are in this process, right? Yeah. So then we can go ahead and then it takes a lot of the pressure off because we've already talked about it. You talked about with Colby, we created an agreement. They had the investment, both sides in that contract, in that agreement, in that production level. And then more people can come to the table with better conversations, more effective conversations and less emotional conversations because yeah. then you've already, you know, you set the stage. So my background is teaching. I taught fifth grade English. So we always used to say, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And so it's that same thing. Tell me what my expectations are, implement my expectations, and then come back to me and hold me accountable for those expectations. But I think that by setting those expectations first, it's not a surprise when you get there. There's a lot of, I think, people out there in the world on both sides of the, of the spectrum that go into a job 
thinking that they've been promised something, wanting to be promised something, thinking that somebody uh, made a claim of some sort, that then they feel 60, 90, 120 days in that somehow they're still not getting what they were promised, be it resources, be it compensation, be it culture, whatever. And a lot of people take it very personally and they feel very duped. And I think that that fear is what you help so many people on both sides of that conversation to get rid of so they can have a better culture in their business of clearer expectations. I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown. And um, this year, my agency's uh, motto, if you will, our, our phrase is clear as kind. And we decided that back in August, September. And I love the fact that we did that as a team, clear as kind. And I think that's the best way to be able to run an organization in a space is to be able to say, hey, Colby, if I want you to come and invest your time away from your family that takes care of your family, that makes your house payment and make sure that your kids have food in their stomachs and they get to be able to do the things that they need to do that empowers you to be able to be the man that you want to be. I think that I have to be able to come to the table with the same things as, a, as an agency owner and say, I'm going to come to the table to be the leader that you need me to be. But let's talk about what that looks like. And I love that you define those on both sides and have that conversation on both sides. And I think it really takes away so much fear and you keep the, the vision and the focus of the agency owner and or the producer and create a safe environment for them to be able to come together in that. And I'm sure it creates a great cultural experience for everybody involved. It does. It does. And I'll call back to something that you shared and also clarify as a consultant how I need to stay in my lane. Okay. So I help with the conversation of designing a plan your guide expectations. I don't do post-implementation of, like you said, the onboarding, training. Right. I don't know. I don't know your service model, like those types of things. I know it, but I don't do it myself. I don't know why they so, system. You can't tell them where to click to be able to do that. If you give me the hours of consulting time, I'll help you do it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but that's that's the problem as a consultant is I want to help. I want to dive in. I want to add value. Right. But there are some things that we are very efficient with and help. There are some things that you as the owner are more equipped to continue to do yourself. And that's you said the accountability piece is like you can hire anybody, but unless you have a good onboarding process, that person's gonna struggle. Yeah. So well, and you know, you mentioned specifically the the um the consultant or the uh the podcast I did on a business coach, right? I and one of the things I said in there are different types of business coaches. You can have a financial business coach, you can have a culture business coach, you can have a you know, a sales coach, right? You can have an operations coach, right? And not that everybody needs to go spend all this money on all these coaches. And you can do all the different points in your life or in your business when you're doing different things. And I love what you're saying is because you're that season of figuring out financially, being able to hire, being able to be in that preparation space. But then the implementation is a completely different thing that people have to be ready and facilitated to level up if they have to based yep. on the promises and the conversations they have. I tell my team all the time, baby steps, we're making this progress, but I try to cast the vision of what we're trying to accomplish. So that way, whenever we do accomplish something, sometimes it's really kind of fun. I'll be like, look how that worked. And other times my team is like, look how that worked. And I love it that they're seeing that we're making the progress, doing what we said we were going to do. Because if I, if I said, oh, we're going to build this $20 million agency, we're going to have 83 people, you're going to have every single cool technology that's ever been available to you. And then we stick on, you know, Monday.com doing everything we want to do. And I'm not knocking Monday.com. I love Monday.com. But I'm saying like, you don't have a management system, you don't have phone systems, you don't have, you know, all these other things. You can't, you have to build a robust business. And I think, like we said, 
you guys have that wonderful, amazing area to help agents and agency owners to be able to get in that right space, create the right agreement, create the right synergy between them. And then an agency owner and or leadership has to make sure they're ready to do what it takes to implement that goal. And the salesperson or team member needs to make sure they're there to do their part as well. And I love what your role is in that. And I think it's awesome. And I'm super excited that you're part of Agency Focus because I love Carrie. No, no, no secret in the world. She is one of my very favorite people on the planet. And I am super excited because I know that you are keeping on that branding of Agency Focus that y'all have created and that she has worked so hard for. So I'm super glad you're on her team. Thank you. Yeah, major kudos for her. And also something I'll share before coming on the show, I was just trying to reflect on my career in insurance. And also listening back to an episode you had with Kelly Donnie Piero. Yep. And uh, it was like women in most cases actually drive the, the operations and stuff within an agency. Most of my supervisors in my entire insurance career have been women because like I started as an intern and I reported to the regional finance manager at the agency. She did phenomenal things and taught me all about agency financials and reporting and those things. And then I worked for the regional administrative officer. And she helped me be on the M&A team as we bring on agencies in their book of business and all those types of components. Data and analytics, project management. Like also worked with an analytics project manager who was a woman right at the agency. So it's like most of my career has been influenced by women in insurance. I'm super grateful. It's been amazing because it's been, I think, just a good experience of people that have given me opportunities to learn and grow myself. And that's something I'm super grateful for. So I love um, it. I love it. Well, shout out to different women in different wonderful spaces that are helping to be able to mentor and be able to bring on the uh, the people who are going to be able to do this, you know, for with us and behind us. So shout out to that, because we always say we're we're always empowering the next um, the next group, whatever that looks like. Right. And whatever that we know, wherever people expand on out to. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. It's a great shout out. Well, Colby, if people want to work with you, okay, if people want to be able to connect with you. How can they reach out to you? How can they connect with you? Sure. You can email me directly. It's Colby, C-O-L-B-Y at agency-focus.com. You can go to our website, agency-focus.com. We have a contact page that you can find my calendar just scheduled directly with me. I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So if you want to add me and we can DM message or comment stuff back and forth, that's always another option. But yeah, reach out to me directly. I'm always willing to chat. Even it's not about business, just to meet new people and network is always a great thing. So I love it. I love it. Well, I hope I get to see you at some conferences or something soon and we get to be able to see you in person. So I would love to be able to do that. That sounds phenomenal. I hope it happens real soon. Absolutely. Well, everybody, this has been another amazing episode of the Power Women in Insurance podcast. My name is Teresa Kitchens, your host. Thank you so much for joining us as we highlight visible and amazing people inside the insurance industry that help you to be able to be the very best person that you can possibly be in the insurance space. So join us every single Wednesday and make sure you look up Colby with um, Agency Focus, and we will talk to you again next week.